everybody welcome to podcast number 34 as standard it's louis lewis and your host george here um and it's volume four of our spotlight series and uh this time we're shining the light on vc the fly man air canada of course the only man to be described as half man half amazing vince carter um don't know about you lads but i think we should start this off on draft night for vince and unless anyone wants to kick it back even earlier no i'm good with a draft start Cool, cool. Lou, do you want to, do you want to start with the draft? Um, yeah, I mean, when you look at Vince Carter, you look at that draft list, the first thing you'll your eyes may gravitate towards is that he was obviously out of the University of North Carolina, which if you've been watching The Last Dance, you know is historic for one reason, and that's because, I mean, it's a good basketball college anyway, but Michael Jordan is obviously a famous alumni there. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously his impact was huge at this moment in time he had just well I don't think he'd announced his retirement at the time of this draft but it was pretty much known that he wasn't going to be coming back he wasn't going to play under anyone else apart from Phil Jackson so naturally people started looking for a successor I think Grant Hill was one of those guys that people deemed as like a heir apparent but you know Vince came out the same college six foot six plays the same position and obviously got mm-hmm. immense, immense athleticism. And I think that's a natural comparison a, a lot of people made in his early years. And though it didn't bother him too much in the first couple of years, I think as time went on and as he didn't win the big ones, like Michael did, obviously, I think that's something that became a little bit of a crutch to him. Yeah, and that and that followed him throughout most of his career. But just look, going back to the draft and looking at it, he was drafted fifth overall. Mm-hmm. The uh, other notable people in that draft, there's Dirk who went ninth, Paul Pierce went 10th, Jason Williams went 7th, and Rashad Lewis went 32nd, so that was a decent pickup there. Yeah. And he was traded to the Raptors from Golden State with them getting Jameson on the other side. Yeah, I mean, uh, when you look at that draft, and it appears like a little bit of a crossroads to me that you got... The Vancouver Grizzlies, they obviously had the second pick overall and they selected mm. Mike Bibby with that. And don't get me wrong, Mike Bibby was actually quite a solid NBA player. Played some good, not really for the Vancouver, to be honest, more for Sacramento, but he was a good player. But um, they went for the solid, I think, dependable point guard with their second overall pick. And then I think Toronto maybe took a little bit more of a gamble, but it was an explosive gamble. It was one of those where if it pans out, it, it will pan out well and you've got this blockbuster star that can really uh consolidate this that franchise in the league because at that moment in time they wasn't a real quantity they were trying to you know they were like the uh unwanted siblings if you if that's a yeah that's a decent analogy yeah because they, they were the first in a foreign country and it was kind of weird to a lot of people i assume i mean one of the things we'll all talk about, Vince, is that that jersey and that famous, I think that famous badge or, yeah, I think they call it a badge in America as well. We all relate now. Everyone's like, oh, that's such such an amazing jersey. But I think at the time, people ridiculed it a little bit. Oh, 100%. They got clowned on, mm. especially in mm. America. Yeah, and I think maybe if we uh, look back now and the Vancouver Grizzlies select Vince Carter, maybe it's a different show. Maybe there's still a franchise in Vancouver and maybe there isn't in Toronto. You you just don't know. His impact was so immeasurable on Canadian basketball, which is, I'm sure we'll get into a lot more later. Uh, Anyone want to say anything else about the draft? No, I think I'm done on that point. No, I think... in terms of in terms of him of of that draft class, though, I think in terms of going any higher than what he was in that in that mm. list, I think obviously you'd say Dirk would have gone a little bit higher. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Paul Pierce as well. Got Paul Pierce, but then I think third would be pretty much Vince. I, I'd argue him over Paul Pierce, but I have some biases towards him as I've got mm. the the Vince Carter purple dinosaur jersey hanging up in my wardrobe right now. So yeah, I I'd think, say third. I think uh, Vince is the more explosive player. He's one you'd rather watch than Paul Pierce. No offense to Paul Pierce, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I think Paul Pierce is a little bit underrated for his career Finals MVP uh, champion. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, but then he overrates himself. So yeah, he does. True. <laughs> and Vince is more of a humble guy. He's more likable, so I can see why he'd go that way. I'd put Paul Pierce over Vince Carter personally, but that's just that's just me. But anyway, let's talk about his rookie season. Yeah. Um, well, he won Rookie of the Year, which is. Not very surprising when you look at it because a, a guy like Dirk and uh, Paul Pierce, to a certain extent, they needed that little transition period, whereas Vince had the athleticism to come into the league right away and he would get buckets. Like It's not a case, you know, Dirk had to figure out his jumper and stuff like that mm. and the physicality of the league a little bit. But uh, Vince had the, the body of a man, if that makes sense, even though. He was a, a young player coming into the league. So he uh, averaged just over 18 points, I believe, on 45% shooting, uh, 5.7 rebounds, three assists, and impressively for me, a steal and a block a game. And uh, mm. you'll see in those early years in Toronto, he had uh, he had blocks quite quite often. Actually, he was a... Uh, he'd rank up there with guards in terms of that uh, statistic, and I think that really illustrates... The amount, the uh, amount of af- athleticism he had in his game, and as you look down his career stats, you see that sort of trails off a little bit as he gets older. Um, but right now, when he was a younger, younger guy, he was swatting away shots, and he was incredible to watch as well. And I think that figured into that rookie of the year award as well. It plays a part with the fact of that, as you said, kind of coming straight into the league, he could kind of get his buckets just from his mm. sheer athleticism and, and his and his pace and his power of all extents, really. And that helps with the fact that that year was obviously the NBA lockout. The season didn't start until January 1999 anyway. Yeah. So basically he could hit the ground running. He, this, the season was a little bit shorter. So for guys like Paul Pierce and Dirk, whereas obviously a traditional guy with a jump shot and just that traditional outfit, it's going to take him a little bit longer. Whereas Vince yeah. Also, that kind of a, what everyone now would coin as a Zion-esque experience where he's just kind of every game you're going to want to watch him, see what he does. Yeah, it was more, more so Dirk than Paul Pierce. Paul Pierce had a pretty good rookie year as well. It wasn't quite up to Vince's standards, but he, he still yeah. did well. I think that's the Euro aspect with Dirk as well. But Yeah. Um, well, well, you know, he's known for starting to break the mould of European players being yeah. soft and then, I mean, he was and the then first, being more accepted. Yeah, he was the first European superstar in any case. Yeah. But, um, I think team result as well may have figured into this a little bit more because they did finish in the temp seed that year, which isn't incredible. But the Toronto Raptors, the years before he, he came, they were basically just irrelevant. They were mm-hmm. in the teens every single year in the Eastern Conference, which is where you really, really don't want to be, that's when you're really bad, especially at this time, because the talent of the league was a bit drier. So he improves them to 10th. I think they... How many games did they miss out on the playoffs that year? I'm not well, sure. In his rookie season? Yeah. I'm not sure I can have it now. I mean, I know the eighth seed there was the New York Knicks, who eventually would go on to go to the NBA Finals as the eighth seed, which is quite incredible. I don't think that would have been quite the same outcome if they'd have squeezed into the eighth seed. But it's a, it's a funny season to analyse, this uh, 98 season, just, as you said, the shortened season with the lockout. Yeah. Yeah, they missed out by four games. Ah, that's quite strange. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. I mean, um, obviously the next year's they would make it, but that's an undoubted improvement. And that rookie of the year is very fully deserved. That's one of the best rookie years you know, I've analysed, really. I mean, it was a good, yeah, it was a good rookie year. I can't argue with it. Anyway. <laughs> There's a reason he won the award. Yeah, it was indeed. And then obviously pushing on into his second season, he he took another step up, started averaging mm. almost 26 points a game. Um, and he finally got Toronto, pushed them out of, well, they was even in the 
the slums of what they was talking about in terms of the bottom of the league, pushed them into the playoffs for the first time in his second season. So, you know, what more is there to say apart from the fact of that this was now kind of establishing himself as Vince as being the franchise player for the Raptors, obviously. He had uh, Tracy McGrady there, but... Yeah. Yeah, the second season is the real meaty part of... Or is one of the real meaty parts of this podcast that we're going to get into, I think. As you said, he, he led the Raptors to their first ever playoff appearance. They did get swept by the Knicks in that playoffs appearance and he, he wasn't great particularly. He went 15 of 50 field goals. So that's nah. not great, but he, you know, he's very young. So yeah, no one's going to hold that against him. He was young and they were a good team. And I think at that point in time, the first playoff ex- experience, no one really holds it against you. I mean, yeah. we really held a, a playoff failure in Yanis's eyes, really, have we? Because he's, yeah, he's only had one real serious run and that was last year. And uh, mm. this is at the point where Vince has everyone behind him in Toronto, I should say. He's got the fans. They were always behind him because he's one of the biggest fan favourites in NBA history, I think. But he's also got the media. And at that point, it starts to... Not at that point, but later on in the point, it starts to diverge. The media treats him a little bit less favourably. But mm. at this stage, his approval ratings were pretty much universal, I think. And, uh, yeah, I think he had dunk on the most. Was a big part. I think he had the most votes in the All Star game actually this this season. Well, for a second year ago, that's impressive. Yeah, I think it, I think it was this year. He was and NBA All Third Team. Yeah. He didn't even have the dunk contest at that time when they were doing the voting. But uh, I suppose we should touch this more in depth. The dunk contest. Uh, George, you want to start yeah. off? Well, I mean. There's no real place. It's the it's the classic. It's over line. You got Shaq with a big goofy camera showing <laughs> with his jaw dropping to the floor. Um, it, he mentioned a lot about how he, he had four dunks that no one had ever seen before. And yeah, I mean his words came true. No one had ever seen the dunks. There was the the cookie jar one, the or the honey dip, however you want to describe it. The three sixty windmill between the leg bounce dunk. Um, and the elbow rim, and it was kind of those four, and and they still get shown now, kind of you can make the argument that that was the most kind of the, the top level dunk contest that there's been to this day. There's obviously the one with Michael Jordan. There's obviously the um, Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine ones. I'd probably say the most entertaining one that I've seen would be the Aaron Gordon, Zach Levine one, just because they were dropping fifties on each mm. other. But the one that you would probably go to through history, you can argue any, any of those three there, but I'd probably say that, that 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 dunk from Vince Carter turning around to the camera, it's over, it's over, everybody go home. The commentary with that, it's just kind of that is what is the quintessential dunk contest. If you was ever going to show someone that isn't really into basketball and like what's the dunk contest or and all of that, you'd normally sh- I, I would show them that clip. That's what. Yeah, I'd say when it. when you take everything into account, like the the time that it happened. Or the effect it had, I, I would say that that Vince Carter dunk contest, the 2001, was the best one. Well, or may, maybe not the best one, but as an individual performance, his was the best. In in terms of the whole dunk performance, I'd go for the Aaron Gordon's Zach Levine one, just because both of them were doing so, uh, so such incredible things. The thing is, I don't think this is what like the one case of a dunk contest being this guy's like major moment if that makes sense for the michael yeah. jordan one that you can pick one like there's so many um mm-hmm. and zach Levine and Aaron golden they don't really have the pedigree yet for me to like yeah, the dead dunk contest didn't elevate them to a superstar level player mm-hmm. like someone who's getting these endorsements someone who is like i said got this approval rating i don't think the dunk contest did that for them, if that makes sense. With Vince, yeah. it most certainly did. It elevated him to a superstar level, which is quite incredible for what is a non-competitive thing. Absolutely, really. yeah. Definitely. He got he got a signature shoe out of Nike from this, especially from there, because I mean he was with um, Puma in his first NBA season, and I yeah. believe he went to Nike after that, and he had the Nike shocks from it. I think that's what it was because it was from him going into the Olympics as well in two thousand. Mm. I think he had to pay his way out of that Puma contract. I might be wrong on that. Um, Probably would, but I mean, that's that's something that would have been talked about between him and Nike as well. I'm sure yeah. they would have paid him out of that because it's kind of... Mm. And, and they released them recently as well in terms of the Shocks BB4 celebrating the fact that he was coming towards the end of his season, four decades in the NBA or whatever. But um, yeah, I do agree. I don't think there is... I mean, like, 
Amadou Diallo, who won it last year, he's not really kind of had the same success rate as Vince Carter's one because of this, that and the other. But it was back in a time as well when the dunk contest was a little bit more um, sexy and juiced up and people cared about it more. There's there's still hype around the dunk contest as there is in any of those challenges that come All-Star Weekend. But um, I think it used to be, it used to have a bit more prestige yeah. to it than it does now. But I think Vince Carter as well with this dunk contest helped elevate that further. And I, I think that's another thing people add towards this when when they decide what they think is the best individual dunk contest performance ever. The, the fact that he may, maybe not so much put the dunk contest back on the map, but he made people care about it a lot more again. Yeah. I mean, one man that wouldn't care, have, have cared about it was um, Tracy McGrady, as he was basically forced <laughs> into doing it to be shown up on yeah. the stage to his cousin and teammate at how much of a better dunker he was. Um, maybe that played a part in uh, what, what transpired afterwards. But um... That's a good segue, you know. Um, so, yeah, shall we get on to that now? Go for yeah, it, go for it. So, I'd say I'd, I'd set this as a little bit of context for the season that, that will come, which is 2000-2001, which I think we all agree is Vince Carter's best season on in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But um, in the summer of 2000s, firstly, there is the Olympics where Vince, he has a bit more, uh, what shall we say? There's a bit more anger to him. There's a He's bit got more a chip aggression. on his shoulder. There is. And uh, who is it you said that uh, he replaced? He wasn't in the so team he, originally, was he? Uh, Ray Allen got in ahead of him. Yeah. Uh, so he was snubbed. And then there was an injury. I don't know who the injury was. I don't think that was Ray Allen. But there was an injury, which meant he came in as a substitute. And that led to him having that chip on his shoulder and playing with uh, what a lot of people reported as a bit of rage. And that resulted in a ridiculous dunk over Frederick Weiss in the Sydney Olympics and him being the focal point of that Olympics team, which is very impressive for your second year in the league. Yeah, it it is very impressive. And when you look at the list of uh, the guys on that roster, I can see Kevin Garnett and uh, people like that. And um, it was different look to Vince because... I was doing a bit of research before this, you know, Sports Illustrated articles and all that, sorry. And uh, there was a quote from his stepfather that I saw that Vince is the kind of guy that goes all out to avoid confrontation. Yeah, I think a that's a, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I'd, like, There's different leadership styles. And Kobe mm-hmm. was obviously the guy, M- Michael Jordan as well, was a guy who thrived in confrontation, shall we say, where... I don't think Kawhi Leonard or someone like that is the same. He's just sort of quiet, yeah. does his business. But Vince was a nice guy, um, very professional throughout his career, as we'll get onto later. But um, maybe it was to his detriment sometimes that he didn't play with a little bit more aggression than this could have been. I mean, it's a, in terms of material achievements, because I think just elevating Canadian basketball is his biggest achievement. Yeah. But in terms of material achievements, trophies, getting that gold medal and leading Team USA is number one. And uh, I think he may have carried on that little bit of aggression in the next season, which is what resulted. And uh, Mm -hmm. a a big part of that aggression as well, as George alluded to a little earlier, is the fact that his cousin left him high and dry in Canada. He moved to Orlando. He supposedly was a little bit miffed that he'd uh, spent the last couple of years in his cousin's shadow as he did to be fair there's there's no denying that he did mm-hmm. and yeah, his um, mum told the media that, that her son had grown tired of hearing about vince carter constantly yeah. and he he aired those sentiments as well so uh, that yeah. led to a bit of a family rift you could say <laughs> a family rift that is solely repaired now you know if you see him now oh, yeah. again they're joking about the joint and i think it, it didn't take too long for them to reconcile yeah, the media exacerbated the effects of it mm. as well i think i think vince carter said it only took the summer for the for them to reconcile the differences so there was oh, obviously some effects because of it but it, they resolved it rather quick i mean there'll always be the what is of all if they're the state together what could they have achieved you know yeah but i am glad really that this is how how it went because i think it resulted in the vince the peak vince carter that we see and i definitely think it resulted in the tracy mcgrady we went on to see i don't think he becomes that player if he stays with uh toronto but basically that sets the context for this next season where vince got a bit of his chip, uh, chip on his shoulder as he did in those olympics something to prove and he proved it 
Yeah, before we jump onto that season, I would like mm-hmm. to touch quickly. We talk about the what Vince Carter will be remembered for, and one of the main things, as you said earlier, is the effect he had on Canadian basketball and what he did for that, the Toronto franchise. But also throughout his career in the NBA, he has been quite the philanthropist. And uh, so I just want to say the few things he did in the year 2000, which is he was named Child Advocate of the Year for his Embassy of Hope Foundation, which helps helps needy children and families. And also uh, there was the Vince Hope, uh, Vince Hope Group as well, which helped schools in Canada. So he had already at this point in his career started doing a lot. Yeah, as we said before, a very nice guy, very professional. And I, I think we should mention as well, he uh, opened that club in Toronto. Again, I forget the name of it. What was it called, George? What did you say? The uh, club that he opened in Toronto to try and try and make it seem oh, a bit cooler. I've said this before. Um, oh, come back to me on that. I'm going to get that. Yeah, I think we'll it like was like inside a club. Or, uh, that's the uh, impression I get anyway, but... He uh, he did do a lot for Toronto, not just on the court, but off of it. And uh, I'm glad that that is getting recognised now because as we'll get into later, there was a bit of a, a tetchy period there where it looked like maybe that legacy was not going to, you know, Inside follow him. That's yeah, the one. that was it. He wanted to make Toronto seem a bit cooler to the NBA, NBA guys, mm-hmm. attract a few free agents. I don't think it really worked i don't think it still works really but um you know it's it's an attempt it's an effort and i like that but um that being said shall we get into the 2001 season we can indeed yes so in this season he ups his scoring yet again not as much of a jump in the first or second year but it, it's difficult to do that much of a leap from that second season because he did perform at such high level but he managed it anyway and averaged just over 27.5 points per game, which was fifth in the NBA for scoring. Mm-hmm. And whilst he was doing that, he was also sixth in the league for three-point field goals, which is quite an underrated part of Vince's game that I think we'll come back to throughout yeah. this podcast. Quite a high volume of shots for that time, most definitely, because mm. it wasn't really a thing back then. It was like three-point shooting back then was like a bailout shot, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's one you do at the end of a shot clock if you don't have anything else. And he actually used it as a tool. And obviously he had that immense athleticism to go towards the rim. So he was a real multifaceted tool on the offensive end. And he was getting the steals and blocks this season as well. Made the all-star team, made the all-NBA team. Really an incredible regular season. He leads them to the playoffs again. Which was, was his career a... high, wasn't it, in terms of points? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. I was just looking at the uh, MVP voting this year because I was surprised that he was quite low for what he'd done that year. He mm. finished 11th, if you didn't know. The 10 players that finished above him, fair put, fair play, to be fair. I've just seen them. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, no, that year's stacked with talent. Is, <laughs> I mean, I'll go at Iverson was first, obviously, Tim Duncan, Shaq, Chris Webber, Kevin Garnett. T-Mac finished above him in sixth. Carl Malone, Jason Kidd, Kobe Bryant, David Robinson. And he actually went joint eleventh with Ray Allen. I think he says I think he should be higher there, but um, you know it's still a, an incredible season, and to be recognised with all NBA is a is an honour in itself because that means you're perceived as a, a top ten player that season. Yeah. And at that point in time, people were like, "Oh, who's the best here?" You got you know Kobe, Vince, AI, or Tracy, and uh, obviously one of them elevated himself to another level. But this is where it, this is peak Vince Carter for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, but I think a major reason I think this is peak Vince Carter is the playoff performance. Uh, so he obviously beats New York in the first round. He overcomes those demons that uh, defeated him last year in a hard yeah, goes, fault. Yeah, five games, goes all yeah. the way. And then we get to that legendary series against. The Philadelphia 76ers and Allen Iverson. I'm sure, George, you must have some thoughts on this. Well, it's, I mean, we, we touched on that when we done our Allen Iverson spotlight series. But, I mean, that playoff was just either, both of them. They, their backs must have been incredibly sore after this playoff <laughs> series because they basically carried their entire teams throughout it. It was them dropping 50 points on each other every game. 
getting double teamed every game. I mean, Devin Booker wouldn't be cut out for that now. Um, and it's just kind of something that 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 playoff series comes down to those two guys just going at it, and it ultimately transpired in one guy missing a shot and the other guy prevailing. That's basically down to it. Um, it in another world, he makes a shot and it could have been completely different. And I've even though if he'd have made that shot again, would there have really been much of a difference? I, I probably think it would have been a, a sweep as opposed to what Alan Iverson got him, but you never know. Oh, yeah, I think I when mean, you when you look at the, this series or the games that Vince Carter's played and you have to point to one in his entire career that would you say yeah that's the one that that will be remembered most I think this 76ers series is definitely that one with how well mm. both those superstars were playing dropping trading 50 point games of each other I mean you say that they probably would have got sweeped in the finals and they probably would have done as well but think how massive that would have been for his legacy if they made it to the NBA finals if he led the Toronto Raptors to their first NBA finals mm. I think we look at him in a completely different manner now because I think we it, it, the cat's out of the bar we all got to say that Vince is probably the what we perceive as the worst player we've done a spotlight on or like maybe not the worst but the weakest legacy shall we say and I think it mm. comes down to this series and this moment and I just wanted to gather your two opinions on his decision before game seven to attend his graduation in North Carolina. And, you know, he done yeah. it on the same day, I believe. He flew to North Carolina, went to graduation, flew back to Philadelphia, and then he played yeah. the game. And uh, when you look at that game, he went six for 18. Wasn't as aggressive. I mean, he was getting double teamed, but he wasn't making these statement plays that he was the, the games before. I'm not sure. Mm. Do you think it had an effect? I mean, personally, I don't look too much into that. I he I, I just think he uh, he had an off day. He had a bad game, mm. and and so what uh, I think people look to find excuses when something like that happens, and they see the uh, the fact that he went and went to graduation before it, and just immediately put two and two together and say, "Oh, that's the reason he did so badly. You shouldn't have done that. What a fool for doing it." Personally, when I look at it, I probably wouldn't have gone to the graduation but I'm not in that situation and I wouldn't hold it against him for doing it or or point to that as the reason why he didn't do well in the game I mean yeah I agree it's it's Matt it was really well documented at the time because he, he was asked about it in the series that everyone knew it was his graduation and that if it got to this point would you go to it? And he always maintained he would, so he stuck to his word. I mean, mm. the flight from Carolina to Philadelphia is about an hour and a half, so it's not like it's a long-haul flight, of which it completely mm. affected his whole day, and he's now really tired. Um, maybe there's some factors that played up into it, whereas he could have been kind of in a different mind's frame, mindset of going into that game. But at the end of the day, him going to his graduation isn't the reason he missed that shot. He, As um, mm. Del Curry said, it's a shot that he makes 100 times out of 100 normally. And unfortunately, he just didn't make it that one time. That was the the issue with it. It's not because he went to go and have his graduation. It's just unfortunately he missed the shot. Yeah, yeah. It's the argument. That... Oh, God. sorry. No, no, that's fine. I was just going to say it's quite a good shot. To be fair, it's quite an open one because he pump fakes a little bit before the guy mm. jumps to the side, and he's got kind of an open bit there. And I agree, he, that's a shot he usually makes. Yeah, I know some people argue that if if you're going to be going to this graduation you're getting asked questions about it and people are saying you know oh, you shouldn't do it or you're going to get if, if you don't win the game or you have a bad game they're going to blame that partly mm. maybe you expect someone who's at his level to react and try to yeah rise up to the occasion and maybe play with that chip on his shoulder that that he did like he did in the olympics but i would say to that i would say you know, it's a game seven. You don't need to get any more motivation to perform. <laughs> so I, I don't really buy into that that much. There might have been a bit of game seven jitters because it was his first game seven. As well. Yeah, He's only in his well. third year in his league. And I'm, am I wrong in saying that Iverson didn't have a great game either, that one? I might be wrong. I'm not sure. I'd have to go and look. I, 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 I mean, I watched the game. It wasn't a great game, let's be real. Like, like there was a lot of clank shots. Yeah, I think it was just a case of it was a, a high intense game and ultimately I do think the better team came out on top and the better player came out on top. 
Mm. But um, it isn't. I think it's a real high point in his career as a star player, anyway. Well, I mean, it, it certainly helped him and it helped his case because following that in the off-season, he signed a six-year extension yeah. with them of $94 million. So the Raptors clearly saw their, him as the, the franchise player for the future, locked him on down. Um, however, in similar timings, this is kind of where the injuries started to crop up, being that big dunker, being that athletic player that he was, kind of it's taking its toll on his knees. Um, and he's starting to get some issues with injuries that now go alongside that big contract. And unfortunately, it kind of hampered into his his reputation as someone that's a bit of a Band-Aid with it. Yeah, and uh, I'd say it really soils the end of the Toronto period, which we'll get into. And uh, that's quite sad, really, when you look at it, because he's such an iconic player in that franchise's history. And when you mm. think it's only really a three-year stretch where that legacy is created. It, I think it goes to illustrate how good that three-year period was and how influential he was. Yeah, especially when, being... you looked, when you look to other players who are known for a certain team or for what they did for a certain team. Usually yeah. they're there for their entire careers. The fact he was only there for five years and left the impact he did is is a very impressive feat. And I think that's what makes what he did there so special and held in such high regard. Very unique in that regard, most definitely. Mm. Um, we should say, uh, to go into the injury stuff a little bit more, um, so in that first season after 2001 and 2000, uh, 2002, I believe he missed... Uh, how many games did he miss? He missed the, the final 22. 22. Yeah, and they, they made the playoffs, didn't they? But... Um, and they put up a good fight in the against the Miami Heat, I think it was. But I know it was a Detroit Pistons, sorry. Um, but obviously they didn't have their star player and that factored into things. And I think this is where maybe you start to see the tie turn in everyone. The fans still loved him, obviously, and the media start to, I think, form a different opinion, shall we say, because... He couldn't get him over the hump against Philadelphia. You know, I think they were like, oh, we'll give him a pass and that's hard. But now they're expecting wins. This is what Michael Jordan done. Uh, but he couldn't do that. And uh, next year he couldn't do that either because he was even more injury played. Yeah, I mean, next season. Yeah, in the, in the 2003 games. Yeah, he, he hadn't. So, mm. I mean, he missed the last 22 games of that season. Obviously, then, as you said, missed the playoffs. Um where they got where they got beaten by the the Pistons, and then he had more surgery in that off season to try and correct what had happened and things like that. And it's kind of the next year he only managed forty three games. But yeah. going back to what you said of being such a fan favorite, he was still voted into the All Star game. But he um, mm. gave up his starting spot to Michael Jordan for his final year, so he could be a starter, as he, he felt that Michael Jordan should have been starting in that game and not him. Um, yeah, it was quite yeah. a nice poetic. Part of, it was quite poetic that because of how much he'd been compared to Michael Jordan throughout his career, and then you Wait. get to this point where he's he's giving up that starting spot to MJ in his in his twilight year. It's also because, as he said, as Michael Jordan is with many NBA players around that era and to this era now, that Michael Jordan was his hero growing up, watching basketball. It was the number that he wore when he was a kid in college and playing basketball. So it's probably felt for him the right thing to do that he had the opportunity to do it as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just a testament to how much of a fan favourite he was. When they all announced that All-Star starter lineup, he had only played in 10 games and they still <laughs> voted him in. And that's just ridiculous. Can you imagine that now? Like, no one would do that. There would, there uh, would be uproar. <laughs> yeah, well, no, happened, nowadays, no. people like Taco Fall get voted into the All-Star. Yeah, that's true. Because of I mean, pe people, stuff, so. people love Kyrie, and he gets a lot of votes all the time, even if he doesn't play a lot of games. But not to this level, where you're guaranteed no. starter. Mm. And um, I, I just wanted to say that because it just, like people love this guy. They really did. And I think mm. people still do. He re retained that high approval rating throughout his career, I think. Um, but due to the fact that he did only play in 43 games that year, they did finish 14th in the East, which is very, very low for a team that had been in the semis a couple of years before. Mm. But it gave them a high lottery pick, maybe a chance to rejuvenate the team, which they selected well that, selected Chris Bosch. But I don't think Vince seemed very engaged at this point. 
in Toronto. Do you, do you two feel the same? Well, yeah, I mean, maybe this the, was the start. Because even the, although um, the next year he played seventy three games, so yeah. he, he he bounced back a bit from those injuries, and he he still averaged twenty two and a half points. But as you say, he's so he's a, well, he's such an excellent player that he can average that in his sleep at this point in his career. So maybe this was where he started to think elsewhere. I don't know when the problem started. I only know what the problems are. So I, I can probably... tell you quite frustrating to see if that he's he's doing all of this putting up these numbers being this star franchise player that he was and that he didn't really have that scotty pippin role shall we say he didn't have someone to go with him for this obviously they fumbled the bag with tracy mcgrady potentially you could have seen something happen with chris bosh but he's probably a little bit too late for him in that point of view i mean he played 73 games in that 0304 season you're in his kind of prime peak years and they still fell three games short of making the playoffs. So he's kind mm-hmm. of like now, what's this franchise going to, like where, where where am I heading with this team? Like he's going to want to win. What am I doing? Growing tired of things like that. So it definitely plays a part in it. And I think there was also a little bit more media pressure now. Like, mm. okay, you was injured the last couple of years, but this is like, come on, you, you're playing 73 games. You've got a young star here and you're still not even getting us to the playoffs. I think, yeah, I do think he starts to check out a little bit here for the reasons you mentioned, because the team wasn't set up for him to win, but also because I think he wanted to blend in a little bit more. I, I always get the impression that he would have been a great guy, a secondary guy to someone who was a bit more, yeah, shall we I say, agree. had that chip of it, chip on his shoulder. Or maybe someone like, I mean, I was going to say Tim Duncan, but anyone would have won with Tim Duncan. But if he'd have got traded to the New Jersey Nets, maybe a little bit earlier at this stage maybe that mm. things are a little bit different but um well, should we get into that trade now then um we can do i just wanted to maybe touch on a little bit before like the toxicity as he left toronto yeah because it, yeah we can get into that because it does get a little bit bad um i uh, there was a i've read a lot of stuff on this there was apparently a little mm. bit of an altercation between him and the coach who when did he get hired again Coach uh, Babcheck is his name or something like that. Rob, Rob Babcock. Oh, Babcock, that's it. Babcheck. Rob Bab. Yeah, no, he. <laughs> that that was after this season where they fell through game short. They hired yeah, Rob yeah. Babcock instead of hiring who was meant to be Doctor J. Well, Doctor well, J. Who he wanted was that's Dr. who J, he yeah. wanted, and and more of the point, it was more of that he was led down the garden path that Doctor J was going to be a serious candidate, but it seemed yeah. that he never really was. They didn't consult yeah, him on anything, basically, and that's where you start to see all the pieces falling apart. As you said, uh, this happened after that season, uh, after that season where they fell short of the playoffs again, the GM and the entire coaching staff got fired. Mm. Uh, as you say, with, with what happened uh, with just, Irving, the Carter's getting very frustrated with upper management. And to top it all off, he, w- he wasn't very fond of the president, Richard Petty. So... There, there was definitely some internal turmoil there. It's just a stupid decision to make. I mean, two years ago, you're giving the guy $94 million and you sign him for six years. If you want to build around the guy and build with the guy, then consult him in all of these important basketball decisions. Mm. Like, I, If there's someone that, if the player wants Judith Irving and it's not a stupid person to suggest, I can't see why you wouldn't take it into big consideration and and sit down with Vince and, and go through this. Like, if you if you look in today's era and, and how things are done now, LeBron James has got an absolute handpick of who he would have as his coach when he's going in. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I was going to say. This really shows the difference between the times now and the times then where players mm. now have a lot more power in, in making but, decisions and getting what they want. I wouldn't say it's player power, though, to that extent. It's just common sense to me. Oh, I think if it is player power. No, but if you're... If you're I, I understand you want to make the, those stars happy, but you have to... Yeah, the you have to realize that these up this management at the time are not wanting to lose control of their franchise to the players and have them demand what they want. They're trying to keep that power over them. So maybe maybe in their minds, obviously I agree that I think they should have appeased Vince Carter because look what happened when they didn't. They 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 did not do very well. <laughs> I wouldn't so, even, I wouldn't say it's it's kind of a player power thing and 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 more of just that. 
okay, don't you're not going to cave into what anything a player says, but at the same time, if you're going to go out of your way so much as to say that someone they want you'd consider, but realistically, you're never even thinking of. I mean, that just doesn't make sense from a relationship standpoint. Of that, this guy you've now got locked in for six years in your franchise, essentially, and you're not even taking him seriously of what he wants. Like, you've got to think of a chemistry of how you're going to build things. You're not going to pick the one guy because this coach wants to give me the ball in every single play. You kind of want to make sure that your stars are happy, but also your team has a vision. And if and if Vince is saying he wants Doctor J for a reason, and Doctor J has a cred sheet that you could very much bring him in as a as a as a as a as a coach here, as a general manager, I can't see why it was never considered, and they just went straight for Rob Babcock. Yeah, I think they handled it very badly, but I, I would go back to the power struggles that were that were at the time between the organisations and the players. Yeah, and they were just, very conscious. They were very conscious of that. It was it was a silly idea of the handing him that contract, and then within a year and a half or like eighteen mm. months time frame, to then switch from going, okay, we want to be a playoff team, kind of pushing and getting better every year, to then saying, okay, no, we want to establish philosophy, yeah. we want to rebuild, I, we want to go for this. That that was the wrong message. No, no, yeah, no I, one that's I, I think that's, the, that's going to want to see that's that. That's the nail in the coffin. Yeah. When when he said that, I think that was the nail in the coffin. Most definitely, you both present. Pretty caps, you know, convincing cases as to why he did want to leave, and I don't think it can be denied that he really, really did want to leave, which is quite a shift in perception. Because when he was signing that six-year, ninety-four million dollar deal, he was going on about how much he loved that city, how much he wanted to be a, a part of it, and um, that season he did get traded midway through. He wasn't playing well for them. He averaged about 15 points, which was much lower than what he was producing around that time. And there was an incident supposedly where he um, tipped off the Seattle Supersonic, shall we say, of a, of a play they were going to run late mm. in game. Uh, so that, that's very, uh, we should admit, that's very out of uh, character for him. And yeah. considering what you both said about how he'd been bypassed completely in the construction of this organisation, how the team was quite poor, it wasn't giving him the best chance to win. And added to that, the media in Toronto were absolutely hammering him. Hammering him. I can see why he wanted to leave. It's, it's very, very obvious that he wanted to leave mm. that. So um, he did get that wish and he was traded to New Jersey, which were a good team at the time. Not... yeah. Maybe a little bit past their peak, but um, yeah, definitely. It's a sad end to that sort of a great little period in time in Toronto history. And like we said, his impact there in such a short amount of time is incredible, really. Um, Yeah. And it's just sad to see how much they fumbled the bag with it. I'd say looking back at it now, though, with, with everything that happened and maybe some of the fan sentiments towards him at the time when he left, which were obviously very mm-hmm. negative. Uh, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Looking back at it now, people don't hold that against him and, and it's not remembered really. It, he's just remembered yeah. for the good he did for that franchise, which I think is definitely the right perspective to have. Of course, because like I said, those moments where maybe he was a little bit demotivated, wasn't playing to the first ability and maybe those stories about the uh, running plays thing that is very much out of character for him because he was yeah. the most he was very professional throughout his career um but shall we get on to new jersey now then are we yeah we can shall i quickly break down the trade yeah go on then right so in the trade the netris got vince carter obviously and in return the raptors received alonzo morning Aaron Williams, Eric Williams, and two first-round draft picks. This, this franchise was just such a... <laughs> I think we're all table. agreed upon is an absolutely terrible trade. Well, if you if you think about it, they had a T-Mac and a Vince Carter that's kind of a couple of years into their NBA career, and they got absolutely nothing to show for it. I know that the, the yeah. Tracy McGrady situation was a little bit different, but I got a, a finished Alonzo Mourning and some role players and a couple of picks for prime Vince Carter here. I know he had a couple of injuries, but the year before he played 73 games, like it's an awful trade, like terrible. It goes back into that thing that everyone says when it comes to NBA trades, that when you have a star player, you can't, or a superstar player, you can't replace them by getting parts that equate to a star player. That's just not how it works in the NBA. Even being a team sport, 
that just the well, superstars can make make such a big difference more than any other team sport. It, it's granted, so it's, difficult to get replacements for. It's, them. it's but it's like I mean, one that springs to mind for me is kind of in football is that, that when Tottenham sold Gareth Bale for eighty five million and then signed like seven players. The only one that really worked out from was Christian Eriksen. Apart from that, the, none of them players mm. Soldado, Paulinho, yeah. none of them worked out. It's kind of it's that same sort of vibe. You either to me, you either go for proper first round picks that you're protecting, you're going to get some, yeah. you're going to get a high level pick, or you kind of don't really go for anyone unless you're going to get a swap of a superstar. Mm, I think agree. I think franchises have got better at it as time has gone on. I think to yeah. last year, obviously you're not going to replace a, a player of the caliber of Anthony Davis, but I don't think all those picks, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, I don't think that's that bad. I think that's no, quite I a good trade. No, I yeah, I, I think the good thing with that one as well was they they had a clear idea of what they were going to do moving forward. Mm. I think which really helped them there. They knew they were going to go for the young core try and get those players that had that potential or had that really high ceiling, which I, which I think why that trade it looks a lot better than this. Because, I mean, I say this, even even considering what people think about trading superstar players for a sum of others that would hopefully equate yeah. to it, even looking at that, this is terrible in <laughs> anyway because no, in no one's mind is the some of these parts getting anywhere near a superstar player. Uh, you, so. you get a lot of these trades at this time. I mean, I'm not even yeah, sure this I... takes the cake of, of the Pau Gasol. I mean, they did get Mark Gasol, I suppose, but the geezer looked—he was like 500 pounds, and he looked like the Big Show at the time. Like no one could have <laughs> told me Mark Gasol was going to be the defensive player of the year, and the play turned out to be. And then there's the mm. Kevin Garnett one, which was really, really bad. The Tracy McGrady one to Houston wasn't very good either. Yeah, I would say the Kevin Garnett one was probably a bit of an anomaly because Kevin McHale has some ties to the team that they traded him to. So I think he was he was handing Boston a stimulus package there as well. Shall we say anyway? But um, enough on the actual trade. Shall we get on to what he done when he got there? Because he did go a little bit ballistic when he arrived he in New Jersey. He did go ballistic. You are correct. Because he uh, averaged 27 points for the rest of the season, which is, you know, up there with his, some of his career best seasons. I mm. think that must have riled up Toronto fans, quite rightly, to be fair, if he's averaging 15 and then he goes to another team and averages 27. Yeah. Um. So they, they made the playoffs, obviously. But like we said, this team was a little bit past its peak. It made two consecutive finals in 2002 and 2003. But... It wasn't as good by the time Vince got there. And I think that's a little bit of a trend we see when Vince bounces around these teams as he leaves Toronto. It's like a year too late, which is unfortunate. Yeah, but uh, they couldn't get, even with them aging, they still couldn't get Richard Jefferson, Jason Kidd yeah. and Vince Carter to all play together at full strength. So even with the past the prime team, they still couldn't get them all together anyway. So yeah, there was definitely some issues there. Most definitely. And, they made the playoffs that year, but they were sweeped out of the first round by the Miami Heat, who, you know, no shame in that because they did go on to win the championships, courtesy of the NBA refereeing system, shall we say. Yeah, that um, was the 0506 season, that one, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah um, no. Sorry. Yeah, so that was the 0506 season. So that yeah. was after where he averaged around 27. No, oh, so yeah. that was when they got yeah, that was when they got the third seed. I will say in this uh in this particular playoff series, he did put up numbers, like mm. I think about twenty nine points. And uh but it comes to it again, the team wasn't as good. I I mean I don't think Miami's team was great, but I think they had a little bit more to them. They had Shaq I think did they uh they must have had Alonzo Mourning as well. Yeah, he must have gone yeah, to there. Yeah. A little interesting wrinkle in this. He'd come back mm -hmm. to haunt them, clearly. But um, Dwayne Wade... Wade just dunk on him. But... Yeah, I mean, Dwayne Wade just took another level that playoff series. This is like a unbelievable leap from him. He was drawing free throws at a historic rate. Uh, he went on to become finals MVP. He just... He was a better player than Vince Carter, unfortunately. And uh, yeah. That's how it is. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, is there anything else anyone wants to say about that particular playoff series? No, I think that's that's all for that season. Yeah. Um, no. And then, obviously, as the years go on in, in New Jersey, one, one thing I will say hmm. is this stretch 
with the Nets, he actually manages to stay relatively injury free. Yeah, which is which is which is nice considering the the problems he had towards or while he was in Toronto and, and the issues he's faced throughout his career. So that that should have been a nice respite for him. But yeah, yeah the years in New Jersey he continued to perform very well. Although I would say towards the end of it in the last two years was when we started to see him wind down a little bit from yeah. being that superstar prolific scorer i think one thing uh you'll notice when you watch the nets version of vince Carter. i mean he obviously still had athleticism i'm not saying that but it wasn't like it was when he was younger and that's just mm. it's natural and that the injuries probably played a role in that as well and I think that's why his production did dip, especially in those uh, later years with the Nets. Um, but well, while saying this, he still averaged. Oh yeah, twenty po- aver- above twenty points. <laughs> he averaged more points for the Nets than he did the Toronto Raptors. So, mm. I mean, he was in his supposedly peak years here, I suppose you would say. Yeah. But that's still an impressive stat. Um, I think he's better than what people give him credit for when he was with the New Jersey Nets. And he had an amazing dunk on Alonzo Mourning as well. Yeah, it's true. So, um, I will say it's a little bit forgettable, but it's still a a good solid run. And they make the Eastern Conference semis one year. This shows shows again, when, when looking at the legacy of Vince Carter, it's different to the other players. Mm-hmm. Maybe less so Alan Iverson because of the, the things he did for, in terms of the culture. But w- w- with Vince Carter, it's not so much the the basketball. because Well, I guess it plays a part, but it's, it's, not, it's not so much just the basketball because otherwise the, the New Jersey time would be remembered more. It's more to do with other things outside of it, like what he did for Canadian basketball. And I think that's why this period of time is forgotten in yeah. his career. Um, and the little point I want to actually mention as well with this New Jersey time, I think you see him lean a little bit more on that three-point shooting we mentioned earlier. Um, because obviously that athleticism wasn't as prevalent as it was in his early career. And uh, I think... That being said, with the three-point shooting, I think that's what eventually made the Orlando Magic target him in the trade. We'll get to yeah, that in a second. I would say I'm not so sure on that. I think that I think the three-point mm. shooting was always there. I don't think the volume particularly increased okay. in New Jersey. I just think people took more notice of it because the athleticism started dwindling a little bit. So I, I think people looked more towards the, his three-point shooting mm. after that. So you're saying it's not like a case of a uh, Blake Griffin developing a three-point shot? Yeah, exactly. Because he, uh, he, the injuries, he wasn't as athletic. He was just mm. always a good three-point shooter. Yeah, that, that's that's what I believe. I don't, I don't yeah. think he had to change his games in the ways other people did when they had to teach themselves mm. to take the three-point shot. I think it was always there. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we'll say that he did make uh, the Eastern Conference semis in the next two years after that uh, Miami Heat elimination. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, LeBron James was there. <laughs> There's not much you can do when you come up against him and Dwayne Wade as well. Um, you feel like at this point in his career, he should be the one sort of batting them off as like, oh, the young kids, this is my league. But um, those two are just different class, really. And yeah. he was unfortunately a victim of that. Um, but is there anything else anyone wants to say about the New Jersey Nets time? No, I think that's all from me. Okay, so no, I mean, in terms of for, from him, obviously, yeah, it's not as as memorable as his time at the Raptors, but mm-hmm. it it was definitely a, a spell that was needed for him because if you look towards, even though it's said that he played those seventy three games and as a Raptor, if 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 he'd have come into the Nets and then had an injury cook season in his first year, it could have panned out a lot different. Yeah, I so, agree. Um, it was it it was a good time for him. Um, I still maintain that he never really wanted he never wanted to leave the Raptors, but it it, mm-hmm. it did him well. So, you don't think he went to lead the Raptors? I don't. Yeah, go on. I, I, I mean, I don't think he did, and I know for a fact that it was. I think it was more of that he was kind of not throwing his toys out of the pram, but he was getting frustrated of things, and obviously, like I said before, how they was going to then try and rebuild, and it was something that was then revealed kind of on an interview, but by Sam Mitchell and Rob Babcock that they said that before the night he was traded. 
he called um, Sam Mitchell and said that it was his desire to stay in Toronto and he wanted to commit to their vision and kind of help them rebuild and, and, and go from this and, and be one of those guys. But um, Rob Babcock said it was too late and the trade had already been verbally agreed upon. But um, Sam Mitchell wanted to change it, but he didn't want to break the chain of command, obviously then fearing for his own job. Yeah. So I think that if things had planned out, panned out a little bit differently and there was kind of a little bit more time, he might have actually stayed and they could have worked things through because considering that trade as well, I, I don't think they wanted to do it that much, but they just, the the Chiefs in Toronto probably wanted to buy into the vision of the coaches they're just invested in and it's easier to do it that way. So, yeah, I, think I still don't think the, he would have. The arguments between, or the differing views between him and the the management and the president just seemed like it was unsalvageable. He, even though he loved the city and he loved the team, if you have those kind of situations, you, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to, you, you have to move on. Mm. And if he had been maybe acting up in the locker room with the younger guys, maybe that's just not a situation yeah, they I, wanted I, to keep. I see mm. why. I see why it happened, but I, I do believe truly that if he could have, he would have stayed in Toronto for the large part of his career. I think that's how it should have gone, but not what we got at the end of the day. Um, and after New Jersey, he sort of moves on to a bit of a journeyman role, shall we say. He goes yeah. to the Orlando Magic. He plays quite a prominent role there in the team that did yeah. get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Again, a year too late, they got to the finals the year before. Maybe if he was there in that last year, things would have been different. I, I kind of doubt yeah. it. They saw... Vince Carter as that piece that could help Dwight mm. Howard as someone that could create his own shot and played more on the perimeter. And maybe, as you said, they envisioned him as that second player that he mm-hmm. his personality is potentially more suited for. But this it, it it doesn't work out how they wanted to because while they they do get to the Eastern Conference Finals, which is the highest that Vince got throughout through the playoffs in his career, they did eventually lose to the Celtics four two. Yeah. It's kind of funny you say that uh, he could be the second player here in Orlando because the the leading guy, the leading personality there in uh, Orlando at the time was obviously Dwight Howard and he quite clearly wasn't ready to lead a team yeah. on that level. I think it still would have probably been Vince, personality-wise anyway. I know Dwight would get the, the most points. He'd stuff the stat sheet. But, um, yeah, I, I'm not sure if that's a particular fit that I uh, appreciate. I appreciate the more because the Orlando Magic played a little bit before their time as well in terms of they had Dwight, physical dominant player, and they surrounded them with shooters. Mm. But um, I'm not sure the personality fit is there, if that makes sense. And I'm not sure, I don't think it's the reason they lost the Eastern Conference Finals whatsoever. I think Boston Celtics, great team. Can't really deny that one. And yeah. uh, they probably, if they didn't have those injuries the season before, I doubt the Orlando Magic go to the finals at all. But um, you know, it's a another little tool in his belt. This is the time where he's sort of transitioning into more of a role player, and he does it with quite yeah. a graceful attitude, I think. Yeah, a lot of the time you see these superstar players mm. be unable to accept the roles that they get given and not face the reality of, well, to to for lack of any other way of saying it, the reality of the aging process and, and what happens yeah. when you get older, you, you're not the same as you once were. And it, it's nice that well, it seems as though he realized this and started that transition and managed to move into, into the role that he needed to play for teams quite seamlessly. Yeah. Because uh, in this time, he doesn't really go to those ring. He doesn't go to those, title caliber teams really he doesn't try and ring chase shall we say he's more interested in passing on the knowledge of what he had done the mistakes he'd made the things that he'd done well taking care of his body that's an important lesson he can teach Mm. because obviously those injury issues earlier on he's quite a durable guy now even that 42 years old um and uh, i appreciate that's a that's a way he's gone it's a very different way to the guys of his type because i mean i'll put it to you this way do you think if dirk doesn't win a championship uh in that 2011 season there's a team he goes to mm-hmm. do you think that he 
same thing. Do you think he goes around and uh, teaches the young kids to how to make it in this league? I don't think so. I think he goes for a championship. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to get too much into that for Dirk. Hmm. But... No, I'm just saying, I, I, it's a real unique way of doing things. And I think yeah, once we look at to him, once we look at like the whole of his career in this sort of bubble, it is very unique. It is, you know, not a very long peak at a team, but he's an absolute legend there. It's a kind of forgettable, you know, he starts off so hot and then it kind of gets forgettable in the middle and he doesn't go to the heights that we expect. And then it's a different kind of end to his career. And I appreciate that about him. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, does anyone have any sort of real nuggets they want to share in this time? No, I mean, he played for Memphis, he played for Sacramento, then he played for Phoenix a little bit, and now he's obviously with the Atlanta Hawks, which is where he finished his career. Um, but I didn't have too much written on this other than what I said, that it's a, it's a different route than other guys have taken. Yeah, I think it's more him going to to teams as you as you said instead instead of ring chasing going to teams where he feels like he can offer them something whether it be on the basketball end or hit him as a veteran and as a personality helping those younger guys like for example Trey Young on the Atlanta Hawks hmm. uh, and hopefully giving him some words of wisdom that will make him a better player and that, that's really what you're looking for from him at this stage yeah. and, and I uh, it seems as though he's he's been able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of the the way that I see Vince Vince as well is, I mean, obviously last year in the All Star Weekend there was the honorary picks for Dirk and D Wade. It was offered, I, th- I think, unofficially it was offered to him, but he quashed all rumours that he didn't want to be given something like that. It's something that he believes that he obviously had to earn being an All Star selection. It's nothing against Dirk or D Wade, obviously, but it's just his views on All-Star Weekend and, and having that honour given to you. Um, obviously, he smashed every single kind of record as a as the oldest player to score points. I mean, I know his time at the Hawks, he, he had that game where he hit, he scored 21 points all on threes, he hit seven threes, and I think he's the only player, yeah. obviously, ever to, to score 20-plus points that's above the age of 42. Like It's just mental when you think of that, really. Um, and it's just... There's there's something about Vince that's just to me it's just I don't know he's one of my favourite players from it it's just I can't really f- like put a finger on why but it's going to be a real shame that we we have already seen his last game and I just hope that once the world goes back to being normal again um, hopefully it's sooner rather than later the NBA sort out something kind of where they can pay respect and homage to Vince and what he did for the NBA what he did for basketball as a sport um i hope the Toronto raptors can also do something as well to kind of honor him for changing not only their franchise but the way that canada sees basketball um he really is quite a large figure in the grand scheme of things that when you take a step back and look at it of, of what he did for the game really yeah he has an important part in nba history because of the the toronto aspect he was the first blockbuster star there the first blockbuster star in a team from a foreign country. Obviously, I know there's only been two other teams in a foreign country, but it's a massive thing. And like I said at the the top of the show, if he's not selected by the Toronto Raptors and he's selected somewhere else, maybe he goes to Golden State or whatever. I don't know if that franchise is still there. They were they certainly weren't setting the world alight before he came, and no one cared about them after he left. They certainly did, and. You know, reigning NBA champions now. I'd say they're one of the more prominent figures in the NBA world. I think they're a franchise a lot of people recognise now. So, and that all starts with him. It really does. And I know they've had great players since. And maybe he's not the best player to have played for the Toronto Raptors, but he's the most influential and the greatest, in my opinion. Yeah, I just I'll agree don't... with most of them. I just hope they don't wait too long to retire his jersey in yeah. uh, in Toronto. Hopefully, Masai Jiri. I mean, I know he has a a big. He's a big fan of him anyway. He says that he's one of the 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 true Toronto Raptors. He's a symbol of of the Toronto Raptors. I know he said that before. So, um, I think he's the third in all time games played as well, which just kind of oh, shows you that's interesting. 
Yeah, I, I know he's above Dirk. I can't remember who's second and first, but um, it's going to be something that uh, just the amount of records that he holds for Toronto Raptors is just mental, really. I mean, he's their third all time points leader, obviously, but um, in the short period yeah. of time as well. And um, yeah, yeah, I'm glad that they now recognize him for all the impact he had there because you know, after he did lead them in that sort of unsavory manner. They they booed him at high heavens every time he came back to Toronto. They had a playoff series there as well when he was the, was with the New Jersey Nets. Sorry, and he got um, caned, yeah, he did. He absolutely did. And it wasn't until I can't remember which team he was with at this stage, but they played that uh, tribute video to him. They just decided to do it. And uh, Grizzlies, yeah, I oh, was it with the Grizzlies. Okay, yeah. so they were booing him before that. They watched that video and then standing ovation clap. He's got tears in his eyes. It's a great moment to watch if you if you have the time watch on YouTube. I'd recommend it. But um, mm. I'm glad that they do now recognise what he done for that franchise. And I do agree that jersey should be hanging in the rafters most certainly. Yep. Indeed. I mean, just obviously. I mean, there's no neither of you are debating the fact that he's a future Hall of Famer. I'm assuming. No, no, no. he definitely is a future Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, as well in terms of uh, of going from it, hopefully he, he does stay in the game, and hopefully he goes kind of. I'd like to see something go full circle and him have a position at the Raptors oh, in some yeah. shape. Obviously, he'll take some time out of the game, being in it for four decades, I assume. But um, I I can assume he'll go into broadcast in person. He seems like that type of personality to me. I've been on ESPN a few times as well with Tracy's cousin, so um, that's the route I see him take. He's got a podcast as well. Uh, that's the route I see him taking, but that would be great as well. I mean, he, he'll definitely be in basketball in some way or another. I can tell you that he's been playing it 40, you know, he's the only player to have played across four decades, which is an incredible stat. It definitely is. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Have you got mm. anything else to say, you two? No, that's all from me. No, we'll yeah, wrap that up there. So, so that was volume four of our spotlight series. Um, that's it. That's the case closed now on Vince Carr on that half man, half amazing. Of course, uh, make sure you're following us on our socials on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Swingman Pod. Uh, we've got a brand new website as well, www.swingmanpod.com. Make sure you go and check it out. It's lovely and glimy. Glimy? That's not a word. What's, <laughs> what's, what's glimy? Well, I don't know what I was Glitz and glamour, for. perhaps. Is glitz that the and glamour. You... I was thinking I was going glitz and glamour and shiny. Shiny, and I got <laughs> glimy. Um, but yeah, go and make sure you follow that. Uh, give that a check out. And um, yeah, that's it. Make sure you stay safe from coronavirus and everything. And we'll catch you in the next one. Peace. <laughs>